And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Why are Italy's most famous club in crisis and why were they deducted points? Coming up, everything you need to know on the crisis surrounding Juventus, its impact across Italian football, and what happens next. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. touch from Di Maria, Fagioli swings it in, Arkadius Milik applies the finish, the Juventus fans wanted to see their side speak with the play on the field. So Juventus have been deducted 15 points for the current Serie A season after a case around alleged inflated transfer fees was reopened by an Italian court. Now Juve have said they'll appeal the decision after they were dropped down to 10th in the Serie A table. Joining us to discuss this one, the Athletics Italian writer James Horncastle and also Tim Spears who covers Tottenham uh, because the Juventus former Chief Football Officer Fabio Paratici is now Managing Director of Football at Spurs and as part of this he received a 30-month ban. Well, we have to start at the beginning, don't we, James, really, to even get a grasp on this story. So, you start where you think is most appropriate and then take us on the journey to where we are now. It's complicated. Look, we have to go back maybe a couple of years because a regulator in Italy um, wanted to uh, flag uh, some transfers that had caught its attention to the prosecutor of the Italian Football Federation. It involved uh, nine clubs, more than 50 executives. I think what was kind of quite interesting about this document that maybe two-thirds of the transfers on it, there were around 60 were involving uh, Juventus. A large number of them were swap deals where, yeah, they're called kind of mirror operations. You decide, you like this player, I like that player. Let's do a player exchange. Let's decide on the on the valuation of the player and let's go from there. It goes beyond getting a, a good player, if that's the intention. You know, you also get a financial benefit because you're able to book this player as, a, as an asset on your accounts, um, it might be that that player is worth a lot of money. That's good. The problem really in this in this case, or at least from the Italian uh, Football Federation's perspective, their prosecutor was that there is no metric in world football for valuing players. When this case actually went to a sporting trial in April of last year, the Italian Football Federation lost it because um, they, in their argument, used transfer marked the website um, that I think we've all, we're all kind of familiar with. It has views on it, but it also has player evaluations and contracts information. But it's 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 not industry standard. It's not endorsed by football federations. And so what happened was all the clubs were cleared and the prosecutor for the Italian Football Federation appealed that decision. He lost that appeal. And so it looked like this was done. Juventus and the other clubs were, were in the clear. And then what happened is you have a, a separate investigation headed up by public prosecutors in Turin, and they are looking into Juventus's financial affairs for 
three accounting years. At the culmination of in that investigation, when the investigators pass on what, the evidence that they've gathered, the prosecutor for the Italian Football Federation says, oh, could I have a look at the evidence that you've gathered? He essentially went to the Court of Appeal on Friday and said, look, new information has come to light. And I believe that uh, the appeal that was rejected should be revoked. And I recommend that there is a nine-point penalty uh, imposed on Juventus. And this all happened in one dramatic day. And so around uh, nine o'clock at night on Friday, the Court of Appeal uh, had listened to Juventus' defence. They believed that uh, this motion filed by the Italian Football Federation prosecutor was inadmissible. And they decided to go with what the uh, prosecutor for the Italian Football Federation said, reopen the case and go straight to sentencing. And they didn't just adhere to his recommendation for a nine-point penalty. The real surprise was that they came down even harder on Juventus and gave them a 15-point penalty. Juventus's legal team believed that this is a clear injustice. It's been interesting seeing some of the coverage in the newspapers in Italy, Tutto Sport, which is their sports daily based in Turin. You know, you'll probably get five, six, seven, eight pages about Juventus every day in there. So injustice is done <laughs> <laughs> on their front page. You know, a lot of the debate for the last few days has been how is it that only Juventus um, have been done for this when the initial investigation was into nine clubs and, as I said, more than 50 executives. Those nine clubs, James, were all Italian clubs, I'm guessing. Yeah. All Italian yeah. clubs. And we're still awaiting the written reasons from the Court of Appeal as to why they took this decision. But the speculation is that because this new evidence that was presented by the Italian Football Federation's prosecutor was from a separate criminal investigation into Juventus's financial affairs. It only involves Juventus. That's where we are at the moment um, with this 15-point penalty um, that Juventus have got. What they can do is they're going to wait for the uh, written reasons, which will be published in 10 days' time from the Court of Appeal, and they've already announced their intention to appeal this decision. So once those written reasons are published, they've got 30 days to let their legal team have a look at them. And then they will go to the Board of Guarantors, which is another appeal process, this time headed by the Italian Olympic Committee, which is the supreme sporting body in, in Italy. That body, what it can do is it can't reduce the 15-point penalty, say like to nine or to five or to two. It can only rule on whether the Italian Football Federation's prosecutor in the Court of Appeal followed protocol exactly to the line that procedurally this uh, sentencing was done in the absolute correct manner. You've got two scenarios, really. Either the uh, points penalty is annulled and, um, and Juventus um, go back to where they were in the table, or it's upheld and they have to accept it and live with it. Just take me back to November when the when the board resigned. Uh, uh, you because yeah. we, uh, in some ways, obviously not in Italy and not for you, but I think within the wider world of European football, because there was a World Cup about to happen or going to happen, it kind of went away out of Italy. Went way under the radar in my in, in my opinion. What happened in November that triggered the board going? And does that play any part in what we're seeing now? So it does. I mean, that was a shocking day, as shocking as, as what happened on Friday when this points deduction came through. Juventus have known that they've been under investigation for obviously some time, but Agnelli and the existing board remained during that period. I remember being at Brazil, Switzerland that night, uh, writing about Casemiro when... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> all of a sudden my phone didn't stop ringing and the news desk at the athletic basically wanted to uh pivot me towards this juventus story but what happened around that time was juventus uh, had to publish their um their year-end accounts you have an agm around that time to basically rubber stamp them the date to do that just kept being postponed and was that because they couldn't agree with their auditors on on what what accounts to to submit. It also came at a time just when this uh, this investigation, which is probably the most serious one, um, it's called the Prisma investigation. It's the criminal case. It's it's the one that gathered this evidence, which was then requested by the Italian Football Federation's prosecutor to use uh, on Friday to to reopen this case. That investigation concluded. Uh, they passed on their information to prosecutors. And now at the end of March, there will be a kind of think, a committal hearing. That is is, is very serious because it, it looks at uh, not just uh, Juventus' transfer business, but also how it deferred wages in during the pandemic in COVID and the effects that had on their accounts and also the public statements that they made. What's really serious is that Juventus are a company that is listed on the Milan Stock Exchange. And so they are obliged whenever there is a transfer, whenever there is a capital increase, or for example, if they are agreeing to defer wages, they have to publish information and it to be the correct information. I should say that Juventus deny any wrongdoing, believe that they followed the law accordingly in, in all of this. But because that investigation concluded in November, yeah, I think that was an, an element in triggering um, the, the current board uh, resigning. Um, so it wasn't just Andrea Agnelli, um, the, the chairman and the kind of figurehead of Juventus for the last decade. Um, it's also his his vice president, Pavel Nedved, um, his chief executive, Maritzari Vabene. And so, yeah, you know, th- they will be preparing for this this criminal case, which 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 will happen at the end of at the end of March. Is this wider than than transfer fees? And it, it, it because and it'll be interesting to get Tim's thoughts just as a football journalist on this in a minute. Forget forget the Tottenham stuff that we'll talk about. But as you mentioned right at the start, tra- transfer fees are not an exact science. I mean, my God, numbers just seem to be plucked out of nowhere sometimes in trying to to value players. So that's one side that we can have a discussion on, really. But is and that might be the headline story. Oh, they've inflated transfer fees. Although I don't, I mean, I still don't. All clubs inflate transfer fees. It would seem to me. But anyhow, is this a wider financial issue? Actually, when we get right to the crux of it, it is. So it's it's looking at a kind of three year period, um, and you know we've mentioned the. Uh, the transfer aspect, which focuses on, on these swap deals. But the other uh, aspect is is what is called salary manoeuvres. And, and and salary manoeuvres is is the decisions that they came to during COVID to, um, to defer wages uh, and how that was then communicated in their public financial statements and whether that information was accurate or not. Juventus kind of in this time have uh, were going also through or preparing for a capital increase. Yeah, they were essentially going to shareholders and saying, you know, we we need to raise some capital here. I mean, they've done it twice, really. Over I'm trying to think of the last time frame, the last five years, where they've essentially raised about 700, 800 million. Um, so obviously, uh, all of that is sensitive to the the information that you you, you publicly disclose about your finances. So that's that's why 
yeah, this is it, this is really important. The interesting thing, Chappers, is in is in the in the sporting uh, sense. So this is where it deals with points penalties. We've had this one case which has um, led to a fifteen point penalty, which may or may not yet be overturned or may be upheld. We'll have to see. And that purely focused on the transfer side. The federal prosecutor, the Italian Football Federation, is also looking at salary manoeuvres as well in a separate case on, on, on the basis of, of the, the evidence that he's, he's seen and his interpretation of it in uh, the, the public prosecutor's investigation, the PRISMA investigation. We may yet get to, a, uh, to another sporting trial. One of the consequences of that could be more points deductions. We're awaiting clarity on that, but that is, again, you know, I wrote in, a, in an article on, on Monday morning that you know, on the one hand, it could get better for Juventus in that um, in two months' time, the 15-point penalty could get annulled. They've got some of their best players coming back at the moment. Pogba's in full training for the first time in God knows how long. Vlajevic is as well. Chiesa's back. On the pitch, things could start going better, but simultaneously, it could start going worse. You know, if 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 this separate sporting investigation is open and has consequences, and and likewise, we've got this criminal case pending in uh, in. In the, in the end of March. And, and is the argument on the inflating of the transfer fees that that can directly affect shareholders and the market, particularly if you're looking to raise capital? Is that is that where the issue is with if they are accusing them of inflating transfer fees? Because on a football basis, inflating transfer fees is neither here nor there, is it? One of the reasons that it's it's important is because if you look at their accounts, the revenues that they post, you know their their outlook that you have at the end of uh, 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 of the uh, of all kinds of accounts. What kind of picture does it present um, to to shareholders and anyone else who's looking to to invest in Juventus? Is it an accurate representation? I, I, I suppose one of the things that was looked at in this uh, recent sporting case is whether. There was an excessive recourse to this practice of swapping players, agreeing on valuations, which, as we've mentioned, there's no metric which will give you a hard and fast answer, industry standard answer as to how much a player should be worth. It is subjective. This idea that there was perhaps, yeah, as the, the prosecutors allege, a system um, where they overly relied um, uh, on these on these swap deals and and the subjective nature of the values is kind of is is, is one of the major bones of, of contention. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over twenty years, providing a one hundred percent guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'll bring you in, Tim. Do you share my confusion over the transfer fees? I guess what will be interesting from this is to see, you know, the butterfly effect that comes from it. You know, every FA has, has different standards and different regulations, but clubs might say, you know, if, if Juve can get done, can we? And how much of a concern should that be? If this becomes a much wider issue, you might get to a, a position where 
there's some kind of in, international regulator on fees and, and, and maybe wages. I think a lot of people within within the game might say that's no bad thing because, you know, I think we've all waited for a few years now for, for, for the ceiling to be hit in terms of money spent in football and, and that just hasn't happened. I, I wondered that as well, James, actually, whether, whether this is the start of actually being able to come up with somebody somewhere coming up with a metric for transfer values whether that is you know salary length of con i mean th- th- there must be a lot cleverer brains than mine that could come up with a metric for for football transfers well when this uh, first uh, came to light the president of the italian football federation basically said okay let's study if we can come up with um something that our clubs can use and so we avoid suspicion also i mean if you look through the history of italian football there have been other uh, there have been other trials um, or other investigations into plus valense, these capital gains on, on transfers, some of which haven't really gone anywhere, precisely because, as we've said, how do you devalue this? Um, some of which have led to points penalties, but not of the, of the size and scale that uh, that we've seen Juventus get. Most recently, I think the, the most recent case study was Chievo. Chievo used to be this kind of fairy tale club from a suburb of Verona, that kind of got themselves up into the top flight. Yeah, they were recently kind of done for that. But even then, it was a very small points uh, deduction that they received. What Tim was saying is kind of exactly what Juventus' new chief executive um, touched upon uh, in his pre-match comments before the Atalanta game. Great great game. Three, three all draw um, on Sunday night. And he said his heart was warmed by some of the solidarity that uh, he claimed to have received from uh, fans up and down Italy of different clubs. And he was like, well, it's, it's probably because you know, if this can happen to Juventus, it can also happen to their club. Juventus' legal team, in a statement that they put out to a, a newswire on Friday night, said that, that they lamented the disparity of treatment. You know, we've kind of given a rough explanation as to why it was only Juventus that got punished. But ultimately, it takes two to do a swap deal. And so the other thing, and, and one of the newspapers, La Repubblica, has reported this in the last few days, is that, you know, public prosecutors in in Naples have 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 asked for information about the transfer of, of Victor Ossiman um, from Lille um, to, to Napoli a few years ago, which was 70 million, I think. They packaged into that deal, uh, I think, three youth team players and a backup goalkeeper, which were kind of valued at 20 million. People are, are waiting to see if the prosecutor of the Italian Football Federation asks for information from his kind of public prosecutor counterparts in in Naples about that and see if we we get ourselves into a into another situation like this one so yeah it, it, if you pull the thread here the the football fabric of of Italian football could could fall apart that's 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 the thing and also James others will be brought into it I mean I won't I won't just be Italian I would have thought others would be brought into it and different clubs account in different ways and also pay in different ways, don't they? I mean, some pay up front, some spread payments, uh, depending on, as we've seen recently with Chelsea, and there's nothing wrong with this, depending on how you structure a contract, that's how you then account for that player's transfer fee across your balance sheet for the number of years of a, of a contract. I mean, there are so many different methods that football clubs use. Yeah, this is one of the the aspects of, of, of this case, at least if it's brought into another sporting trial, certainly this this will be part of the, the criminal case in, in, in March is, is the kind of payment of players during COVID, the deferrals, side letters, bonuses, and how those were uh, were honoured uh, and then reported in, in, in their accounts and reported 
in 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 public statements, uh, which obviously they're obliged to do because they're listed on the stock exchange. So, um, yeah, in some respects, I mean, I didn't get into Italian football to cover kind of Italian jurisprudence, um, but. Um, <laughs> That surprises me, actually. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think you probably do need a qualification. If you are going to cover time football, you probably do need a qualification in that. But to lift a lid on a kind of three-year period at one of the biggest football clubs in the world, uh, it is it is fascinating. Is there any sense that Juventus have also been targeted because um, of previous? To make me sound like make me sound like a character in a nineteen seventies police series. Gianluigi Buffon, their their former goalkeeper, but an all time great in time football history, says yeah, Juventus are. I don't want to misconstrue what he said, but it's like this is one of the things that comes with being a Juventus player. Anyone who wants to stir up controversy and and make it louder will throw Juventus's name in there. Um, and all of a sudden, it becomes a much bigger story. That was certainly uh, how I think Antonio Conte felt, for example, when he received a ban for failing to report match fixing, which was going on when he was in charge of Siena. Basically, some of his players, he was unaware of it, were were involved in 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 a case like this. And then he subsequently went on to coach Juventus. And then all of a sudden, kind of prosecutors looking into. Uh, sort of match fixing in the, the second and third division, he felt, and his defendants felt that um, his name was being thrown out there because all of a sudden it would be front page news. There is a sense that you know, if you want to get momentum behind uh, an investigation or a case, that's that events is his name. If you throw it in there, it will be uh, it will be louder because of that. Yeah, my, I imagine public prosecutors investigating would, would deny that. Some people have have looked back at 2006, the Calciopoli scandal, which was you know essentially about power and influence in the Italian game and how that was brought to to bear. That was 15 years ago now, and people are kind of using that as a touchstone, even though the, the subject matter of the case is completely different. Yeah, there, there have been a few things with with Juventus over the last decade, which kind of have come and gone. Sort of investigation into attempts to sign Luis Suarez when he kind of flew over uh, to Perugia and had an Italian exam to kind of try and help get him an Italian passport, which ultimately didn't happen. Investigation into uh, into the Cordova, where the ultras stand the and their power and also the the kind of infiltration, alleged infiltration in their ranks of the Indrangheta, which is the kind of most feared uh, mafia clan in Italy at the moment. It is a lightning rod. Watching the game... Last night on against Atalanta, the the kind of defiance you, you saw at the stadium. Italian football fans really don't like the Serie A anthem, which was kind of composed a few few years ago. Um, but I've never heard it booed and whistled in the way that it was before the Atalanta game. I'm trying to think of a comparison. Man City fans booing and whistling the yeah. the, the Champions League the anthem, and that's the other element, chappers. We haven't even got to this that um, you know when the board resigned. Uh, in in November, and you know more of this kind of prisma investigation came to light. UEFA opened an investigation uh, into potential breaches of licensing and, and financial fair play regulations because they'd awarded Juventus a settlement agreement on the basis of the accounts that they had seen. So you've got these kind of domestic cases. Uh, we've mentioned the two sporting ones and the, the criminal one. And then you've got this continental one, which kind of UEFA are kind of looking into. So 
yeah, it remains to be seen whether um, UEFA clear Juventus or you know UEFA demand a more st- a stricter settlement agreement, or as Gazette de la Sport was kind of speculating this weekend whether um, their participation in future uh, editions of the Champions League is is at risk as well. So so much at play and so much at stake here. Yeah, it's it's massive. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. Arsenal fans, fancy reliving that unforgettable win over Manchester United? Of course you do. Handbrake Off, the Athletics' dedicated Arsenal podcast, is the place to listen. Join Amy Lawrence, Michael Cox and myself, Adrian Clark, to talk sublime Saka, 50 points, Arteta, the win monster, and so much more. Just search for Handbrake Off on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Fabio Paratici, one of the uh, uh, Juventus officials uh, to have received a ban, former chief football officer at Juventus, now managing director of football at Spurs, which is where Tim now comes in. So he he hasn't said anything yet, has he? But what have Tottenham said? Also nothing uh, at this stage. And from the off, it's very important to state that there's no suggestion of wrongdoing here by Parati at Tottenham. And the investigation was obviously purely into activities at Juventus. Um, he left there in May 2021 and then joined Spurs uh, a month later. So there's a line drawn, you know, between those two. I mean, but however, you know, from Tottenham's point of view, this is an awful it's an awful look for them. For, for, there are more important things than that, but it's an awful look for them for 
to start with, particularly a club in in sort of Daniel Levy's mould, which is seen as, you know, cautious and astute and canny and, you know, no deal and no no appointment and no signing is made without very careful, you know, consideration. Only last week there was an example of that when, according to Leandro Trossard's agent, Spurs took several days tickling around before coming up with a derisory 12 million offer and then Arsenal come in and sign in within 24 hours, you know, at 25 million in a perfect example of how sort of Spurs do their business really to the frustration of their fans. So, you know, they're trying to establish themselves as a, as a, as a global entity and they've got someone who's banned from Italian football running their recruitment, you know, this, at this moment in time, um, as we speak. So not only is it not a good look, but if, if he remains in post, it, it's arguably going to hurt their ability to sign players and, and potentially, you know, attract the next manager. So it's embarrassing that they've got someone banned for 30 months in such an important position in their club to hire that person you know, retrospectively now doesn't look very good, but also to continue to employ him means that they do have questions to answer at the moment. And, you know, we have, of course, put a number of questions to them, including, you know, what what due diligence was done before or before hiring Paratici? Uh, was, there an, was there an assumption that he'd be cleared? You know, that we've known about this for some time now. Will there be an investigation into his activities at Tottenham? And will he now be, you know, suspended or sacked? And they're silent for now, which is completely understandable because they're obviously still processing this themselves and finding out what it means for them going forward because, you know, that there is, there is a push for him to be banned outside of Italy and not just in Italy. But in the short and the medium term, Practically, it's not good. I mean, the fact that there's one week left of the transfer window, Spurs haven't signed a player yet. They're trying to sign players. And um, and Paratici at the moment is still in charge of doing that. So throughout this investigation, it has I think it has felt like business as usual at Spurs. Um, and they've been trying to sign players this window, but that surely can't can't remain the case now. Um, and Spurs have got a decision to make. We've talked on on many uh, podcasts when we've talked about Tottenham at the, at the start of the season, in particular about you know, how well he used his knowledge of of the the Italian market actually to to bring players in who've been successful for for Tottenham under him and Antonio Conte. The the ban from Italian. From Italian football, I'm assuming James means actually working for a club in Italy, not doing, not liaising with clubs in Italy to buy players for Tottenham. So that ban wasn't in place when uh, this time last year he was uh, signing players no, no. like uh, Kulusevski and uh, Bentancourt from uh, from Juventus. Um, at the moment, it is a ban that applies. Uh, within the remit of the Italian Football Federation, so uh, leagues that uh, ultimately have to go to them in order to to, to register and licence. Um, but as Tim alluded to there, in the judgment that was put out by the Court of Appeal, um, they have uh, petitioned that uh, UEFA uh, and FIFA also uh, extend the, the ban to their jurisdiction. I think in addition to putting questions to Tottenham, we put questions to... Uh, UEFA and FIFA as to as to what are the next steps uh, in that. Um, so that is a potential problem uh, for, for for Tottenham when it comes to their ability to operate where he's still uh, still in place. And of course, then we've got this criminal case coming up at uh, we've got a preliminary hearing coming up in <laughs> at the end of March, which is is very serious because you know, it obviously goes beyond what you can do within the game. It will be very interesting to see what action um, they take. You know, obviously Padacci is is innocent until proven guilty. That's the that's the presumption. 
and yeah, so we're we're still kind of looking into that and awaiting clarity on it. Uh, do you sense they've been Tim blindsided by this a little bit, or is that impossible to tell? That's difficult to tell. I mean, this has obviously been ongoing for 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 some time. Um, perhaps in terms of the timing, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think they would have expected it to come now. And like I said, you know, with the transfer window um, about to reach its conclusion. I mean, the other thing to to note at Spurs is, you know, the Antonio Conte situation and how the, and how this muddies the water further on that, I think you'd have to say. He and Spurs are both making a, a decision about his future and Paratici will be involved in that decision, theoretically. Um, you know, for a man who's out of contract at the end of the season, this has been ongoing for a long time at Spurs, but it's, it's going to come to a head very soon. And it can't help if Spurs are keen to keep Conte, it, it can't unless there's a scenario where he can't stand uh, working with Paratici and he's delighted with the news. Um, you know, which we certainly haven't heard is the case. Then um, you know, it can't help because Conte, like like Paratici, wants Spurs to become a, a a much bigger club with an elite mentality that can challenge for trophies, and it adds a layer of farce to an already complicated situation. And um, yeah, Conte's looked a bit a little bit lost to me recently. And um, uh, wrote a piece last week, kind of. You know, maybe outlining one of the reasons for that. If you know people aren't aware, he's lost three, three close friends in a very short space of time. Giampiero Ventroni, his, his fitness coach, who he's known for many decades, died in October, and then his um, his old friend from Syria, Sinisa Mihailovic, died, and then of course Gianluca Vialli, who he'd remained very close with after they were teammates at Juventus and won the Champions League and UEFA Cup together. He's not an open personal. Man, but he did offer a sort of a small window into the you know the the, the trauma and the grief that he's been feeling uh, at a recent press conference, and said it's caused him to, to reflect more on life, obviously, and um, think about how he should be spending more time with his family back home in Italy. And this situation just yeah adds further complications to his thoughts when he's very much thinking about his his future at this time and where he should where he should be next. Yeah, I mean it just it just complicates. I mean, it's not on the same level as losing the friends that he's lost, but he he just must feel it's it's just another thing at a time yeah, when he yeah. probably doesn't need any more things. Yeah, maybe it's just not happening at, at Tottenham. That's what we, well, that's what he might think. Uh, and he said after the defeat to Man City, you know, someone asked him, "Is this the most difficult time of your career?" And how do you compare it to? Uh, these title-winning teams at Juventus and Inter and Chelsea, and he said, "I can't, I can't think of it like that because if 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 I think of this compared to Juventus or Inter, then I'll basically drive myself mad because mm. it's a very, very different job. It's 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 a long-term job, and Conte needs uh, energy and uh, reassurance and trust in those around him to do that job. And at the moment, I, I don't think he, I don't think he has that. Back to Juventus um, to to round it all off." Um, I mean, if 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 the if the points remain docked, or if investigations continue, how attractive are they going to be for players? Will players that are there, James, think about getting out? Is it too early to tell? So, I mean, if we use two thousand six as a touchstone, we mentioned the Calciopoli scandal before. Uh, you know what happened then was some of their best players left, uh, and what a team that was. I mean, Zlatan. Uh, left as did you know, Cannavaro, um, Turam, uh, Emerson. Um, if you're a real niche um, City fan from the kind of mid mid first decade <laughs> of the 2000s, uh, but um, some of them stayed. Um, you know, most notably Del Piero, Buffon, Nedved, Trezeguet. I think 
you know, Juventus will be looking to a kind of nucleus of of, of players to to kind of represent them, um, not just this season, but in beyond as well. And yeah, I, I think yeah, Chiellini's no longer there. Chiellini obviously went to uh, to play in MLS at the, the beginning of the season, but you've still got Bonucci. Uh, you've got new players like Chiesa, Locatelli, um, who kind of I, I think those young Italian players have grown up and know the full aura that Juventus have. With a new board as well, James, who are presumably going, well, you know, we're new, that wasn't us, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, I think the new board is is going to be important. Um, and I think, again, I can speculate about the motivations of the resignation, but I think there is, there was perhaps a need to show that this is a new Ventus, so to speak, particularly when it comes to you know, talking to, to UEFA um, as well. Um, because, you know, as much as UEFA admitted Juventus and the other Super League holdouts back into the the competition. Yeah, that has been a, a tense relationship since the the, the launch of the Super League. Um, but to, to come back to, to your question, uh, Juventus need all the players that they've got at the moment if they are to have any chance of getting into the top four. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a long way away. It's 15 points uh, at this moment in time. But Juventus are good enough to, to kind of get back into it. Um, Allegri does this he goes on these long winning runs we've just seen one where they were on an eight game winning streak so they need their best players around and you watch Di Maria against Atalanta and you just think he's so much better than anyone else in this division if Pogba's fit and can play 10-12 games he's too good for Serie A as much as people get he divides opinion here Um, but well it's too early to tell you know whether the club has to scale back um, in the summer. I think what sees them in relatively good stead, and I think one of the silver linings of the season that fans have actually l- bought into is that a couple of years ago, one of the last things that Fabio Paratici did as chief football officer was was set up um, this Juventus Next Generation team, which plays in the third division, um, because they f- they felt that too many Italian teams are not bringing through good young players from their academy because the gap between the, the under-19s and the first team is just too big. And this, you saw it against Atalanta. They've got some very talented young Italian players. Um, Nicola Fagioli, Miretti, you know, players who've been brought through with that kind of Juventus mentality. You'll have a sense of belonging to the club. Um, one of them's English, Samuel Lilling Jr. as well, who's been who's been impressing. So I think you know they're going to have to lean on players who care about Juventus um, in the next four months and and, and, and beyond. Let's deal with the most important thing from that answer. Did you come up with New Ventus? I was going to I, ask know, that, I could see your reaction, Tim. I could see your reaction. And I'm thinking, is that yours, James? Or have you have you nicked that from somewhere? And presumably that doesn't work in Italian. Uh, I actually don't think it is mine. I think it was one of the editors right. that, that that they just they just said it to me in passing. But it worked. So. Right. It yeah. Does it work for you, Tim? You look like you really enjoyed it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it on all, on all my friends. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a place to end, uh, James, uh, Tim. Uh, thank you. Plenty more to read on Juventus on the Athletic now. Plus, David Ornstein's column uh, leads on Harry Kane's future at Tottenham as well. If you're not already a subscriber, take advantage of the offer at the moment: one pound ninety nine a month for the first 12 months by going to theathletic.com slash football pod. I'm sure if you go there right now, you will see the new Ventus headline somewhere on the site. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.